Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about running tabletop role-playing games. My name is Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And this week we're joined by John Corey. Hello again. Hey, welcome. Thank you so much for coming back. Yeah, I was glad to be invited. John, we invited you back because uh, it is currently con season, and we know that you are going to run some games at some cons, and Andy's going to be running some games at some cons. So we wanted to uh, just have a discussion about what that's all about. All right, I am ready. Um, so I think the first con that I know about that's coming up is uh, actually in Ann Arbor, right? Um, so this is going to be at the RPG Day event um, at the, the library. And Andy, am I correct that you're running games at that? Yes, I was uh, I was foolish enough to agree to run a couple of uh, very short one-hour games. I'll be running uh, the Numenera uh, role-playing game. Oh, oh cool. exciting. John, are you going to be at that? I am not. I've got something else to do that day, which is really unfortunate, because it sounds like such a fun idea. Yeah, it's really cool. So my understanding with it is, and Andy, correct me if I'm wrong, is that so they've invited some just like local GMs um, in, in the state and stuff to come and just run like one-hour sessions from a variety of systems? Yeah, I think so. I think the idea is it's sort of an event for the general public, not necessarily for existing, you know, hardcore RPGers. And the idea is, yeah, you run uh, a bunch of just one-hour sessions, which means you basically have time to, you know, run one or maybe two, you know, encounters of some sort, uh, and then the time is up. Yeah, hopefully everybody has fun, and then they go on to become lifelong gamers, I guess, is the goal, or at least (laughs) start patronizing the library. That sounds really nice. There's nothing I love more, actually, than first-time role players at my table. I mean, that's probably an exaggeration, but I do love it when I get people who haven't played before. Yeah, that's super great. I would imagine at the, the library event, there'll just be a lot of people just poking in to see sort of what's going on. So you're going to run Numenera. Uh, are you just going to run like a couple of sessions of that? Do you have plans set up for that already? Or are you still? <laughs> so, uh, no, there's no plan. There's no plan at all. This episode of the podcast is a little bit of a desperation move to get me some uh, advice. No, I've given, I mean, I've given it some thought. I have four one hour sessions I'll be running. And Mm -hmm. so I need to decide if I'm going to run four different scenarios or Mm -hmm. a couple different scenarios or all the same scenario. And then, yeah, I mean, I I think we'll get into this once the discuss our discussion here kicks into gear. But, you know, the questions I'm asking are, you know, how do I, I, within a limited time, how do I have it be a fun experience that sort of shows off right. the system with new right. players in mind, you know? We could spend the whole hour shopping for equipment at the blacksmith and then, <laughs> okay, thanks for playing. Yes. Yeah, that's a hard one because you want to get people invested in the game, and one great way to do that is have them make their own characters, but with an hour, mm-hmm. um, you don't have time to do that. One quick thing you can do is you can leave them leave them their name and their look so they can at least get some sort of investment in their character. Hmm. But you do everything else and have it built and ready to go. So here's a here's a question, and if you guys don't mind, shall we just dive right in here? I have some Let's questions for John. So John, you've, just to kind of reiterate, you've run quite a few games at conventions, right? Yeah, mostly at UConn. Uh, I've been, this will be my fifth year running games there. I've also run games at Origins as well. What materials do you bring to a con game for the players to use? That's a great question. Um, so if the game has sort of a cheat sheet, right, I will always bring that. I actually like to make little packets for players. So if we're making characters, for example, let's say we're doing a four-hour session and we're going to make characters, and I can sort of distill the character creation process of the game down into like a small packet, I will do that. So when I run Dungeon Crawl Classics, for example, there's multiple tables you roll on when you're making your character, and I make a copy of those for everybody. 
and if the, and I'm sure there is a Numenera. Somebody in the universe has made a Numenera cheat sheet that fits on one page. <laughs> For sure. And and providing that to each of the players is a good idea too. So like Dungeon World, I run a lot has a basic rules, a basic move sheet, and I just I always have six copies of that whenever I'm going to a convention. Do you do you go over that then at the start, or you just hand it to them and say you'll need this later, and then di- dive in? I handed it. I hand it to them and say they'll need this later because most games, and I think this is true of your game, is especially if you only have an hour, you could spend an hour explaining how the cipher system works when you're running Numenera, right? It probably wouldn't be hard to do. So, you know, I would say, okay, just we're going to start. I'd give a brief overview, like this is what the world is like, really pitch the sort of sell the sizzle, right? It's the world and the setting that's <laughs> exciting. The rules just make it go. So when they go to do something and the rules get engaged, then you go, okay, here's what you do now. Like you've tried to do a thing, that's great, Here's how we're going to resolve the that. And then you give them a quick overview and just tell them to roll and go. Often people think that, that people are going to get the rules of a game in an hour, and they're just not. So just when it's time to go and do something, that's when you engage the rules. I wouldn't even go over the rules in detail. Do you provide a simplified version of, like, say, a character sheet if there's stuff on the sheet that's not likely to come into play or that might be confusing? I don't do that. I usually provide the full thing, but I think what that's a great idea, especially for a one-hour game, right? Because the cipher system, you could really simplify that sheet, right? There's three stats. You know, the numbers are very simple. You could do like a half sheet. The last time I ran a game of uh, maybe D&D or Pathfinder for a group of newbies, I went over the character sheets with different colored highlighters. Mm-hmm. And oh, I nice. highlighted in like red, I highlighted, you know, armor class, and I highlighted the, you know, maybe five numbers that they're going to be asked to reference and i found that was a pretty nice way to say it's the number it's the number in green just tell me the the big bright green number that's a great idea do you typically find when you are running games at cons that you are running those games for people that uh, like what brings those people to your games usually is it um, knowledge uh, that they already know the system they know they like it is it are they? Do they tend to be newbies, and they just it sounded like an interesting thing? It's interesting. I often run into people who just want to try the system. That backfires on me sometimes, too. So I used to run a system called Phoenix Dawn Command, and when I took it to Origin two years ago, maybe a year after the game came out, is it three years old now? It might even be four years old now, but it was the year after the game came out, I scheduled to run two sessions, and they both sold out in the first week because I think there was a mm-hmm. lot of curiosity about that game. I ran it at UConn last year, and nobody showed up. So (laughs) it really depends on the audience you have. I think there are fewer risk-takers the smaller the convention is, right? Mm -hmm. There's more people more likely to play the more familiar things, but you still have an opportunity to to run more unique things. So I find it's people wanting to try out the system more often than not. I have to say, uh, so Phoenix Dawn Command, that's what you called it? That's what I assume that is not related to Phoenix Command, the insanely hyper-realistic tactical RPG uh, slash no. game? Have, okay. Nope. Nope. Okay. It's not. <laughs> because it's a- <laughs> I would be so impressed right now if you were running yeah. a game of Phoenix Command in the year of our Lord 2019. No. Yes. No. It's Phoenix Dawn Command. It is a game that Keith Baker kickstarted maybe in 2015. Uh, Keith Baker, who made Eberron... Um, oh yeah, and a bunch yep. of other cool games. Yeah, and it was a card-based RPG. Your deck, what you built, it was like a combination of a deck builder and an RPG, and it had this amazing art. 
I fell in love with it. I'm actually running a campaign of it now, but nobody wants to play the card version, so I've converted it to Powered by the Apocalypse, but kept the setting, and then mm-hmm. that's so that's what's going on now. So what did, made you decide to GM at a con, like for strangers uh, that you don't know at all for the first time? Like, how, how did you find <laughs> yourself doing that? You know, it's an interesting story. I I used to play a lot of RPGs, and it would generally be like I had a long 3.5 campaign, and I would, and I am so excited about different games, right? Sort of my my holy grail, which I kind of have right now, is to find a group of people who want to try out different stuff on a regular basis, so that I can see what different narrative games are like. That is that is sort of why I play them, which is different than a lot of people who want to play the same thing consistently because they get really good at it. But mm-hmm. a piece of advice I got from a podcast actually, was <laughs> was don't bother taking your indie story game to your Pathfinder group. Go find people who want to play the indie story game. So <laughs> my initial motivation was to go find people like me because I had friends and I liked them, but I didn't want to play 3.5 anymore. So mm-hmm. I wanted to try something else. So my initial motivation was, okay, if I put this out there, the people who want to play it will just come to me, which kind of worked. <laughs> maybe maybe not so well first time out of the gate but that was my motivation it was i want to meet people who want to play like i play what was that first game that you took i ran of? i ran two games at yukon four or five years ago one was fantasy age which was the uh which is by green ronin and they they made dra- they made a dragon age rpg which they had designed to be a starter and then they mm. came out with a generic version called fantasy age and then i ran dungeon world and both cases were not super great. Um, I think I mentioned this the last time I was on. Yeah, yeah. It was a three-hour session both times. The Fantasy Age session took an hour and a half. And people were like, yeah. what? And then, the, <laughs> and then the Dungeon World session was just two people showed up. And we sort of muddled our way through it. The mistake I made with the Fantasy Age is I didn't demo it. So then every year since then, if I'm demoing something or playing something I haven't played a lot, I make my friends get together with me and be like, we're playing a game of Phoenix Dawn Command or Fantasy Age or whatever so that I can at mm-hmm. least have run through it once before I have to do it for strangers. I think most of the people listening here are familiar with uh, running games for their home group, their their own RPG group. Right. What do you have to think about differently when you're prepping a con game that you don't have to worry about when you're running for your friends? With a con game, I think the most important thing is you cannot make a highly complex plot story situation for people to solve because I think that once you have a home group, it gets a certain amount of synergy after a while and they get to know you after a while and you can you can increase the level of complexity of your game, story, plot. At a con game, that does not work, right? <laughs> for most of them, it's about just creating a few cinematic moments and creating and having good encounters that are fun. Con games often, but not always, become very silly very quickly because people don't know each other and they become self-conscious and humor becomes a great release valve for that. So I guess the first thing is your expectations of, you know, the complexity of the game that you can run should be a little lower. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, especially at cons, and I do not wish to insult my own people... <laughs> Too late. Too yeah. late. It's done. Here it comes. Um, no, it's just that we're not the most socially uh, sophisticated bunch as RPG nerds, right? So I find that I have to be a little better about 
Hi, my name is John, shaking hands. This is the guy who just sat down is Phil. This is Sally over here. Mm-hmm. You know, making sure everybody knows everybody else at the start. And then, and that's super important. So those basic sort of social skills that we sort of take for granted when we're running in a group are like super important when you're running a con game. So keep it simple and, and don't assume other people know each other or are comfortable introducing themselves. This might bleed out into just running your normal everyday games, but do you yeah. feel that there's a responsibility for the GM to make those connections with folks? Or is it something that it's, it's really up to the kind of the adults at the table to be doing that themselves? It is, it is my responsibility to make sure, in my opinion, that everybody knows each other's name and has been introduced. And beyond mm-hmm. that, then I think it's up to them. Because if you try to control it too much, you interfere with connections that happen naturally. I ran Dungeon World two years ago, and these two guys showed up, and they really hit it off. And their characters really connected. They had a hilarious time. They really had fun. Um, and I didn't have to do anything. But in that situation, you've got to make sure that the other people who are at the table get included as well, right? We don't, you know, because it's easy to focus on the people who are more interested. So the other thing you have to mm-hmm. do is make sure you're, you're doing more of drawing people in because it can be harder because they're not only strangers to you, but they're strangers to each other. So that leads into another question I have. And I should say, I, uh, I don't want you to feel like we're just grilling you here, but, uh, but we are definitely grilling you. Just the okay. sad fact is you're the only one in this conversation who knows what they're talking about on this topic. So this is, uh, Chris and I can maybe bluff our way through some of the topics in this podcast, but probably not this one. But, uh, I'm, this uh, is here a learning experience, yes. Andy. Yeah, exactly. I, went from, I went from trying to encourage people to GM and encourage people to play RPGs. Now I try to talk everybody into running at cons. Oh, so that's nice. my... Yeah. Yeah, my evangelism has progressed. Pretty soon you're going to be like, you need to write your, your Dungeons & Dragons Heartbreaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When are you going to decide your new name for strength and dexterity? Are you going to use agility or... <laughs> yeah, right. what are the, yeah. Combat, if combat were just a little more detailed, it would be... Yeah, just a little bit. Much more. Have you thought about hit locations? <laughs> Such yes. a good idea. Uh, so... Uh, I've, I've now forgotten what it was that uh, prompted this I'm thought, sorry. but uh, <laughs> what are some of the what are some of the problems that can crop up in a con game that you have to be on the alert, the special alert for? Right. Well, I think you can run into people who don't know what they're doing and are embarrassed to ask. So that's why I think it's important to be really forthright and be like, as friendly as possible, introduce yourself. So that's problem one. Also, in, inappropriate behavior can be a problem. You've got to be careful about that and set ground rules without being draconian. I've tried a bunch of different methods over the years, right? From saying, hey guys, let's make, just make sure we all do common sense, to have you heard of the X card? Yeah, I'm just going to yeah. ask about that. Have you used yeah. that? I have used it in the past. I didn't use it um, this last year. And it also depends on the group, right? If it's, if it's a bunch of people who seem really comfortable with each other and maybe, you know, are... I don't use it, but just for those who don't know, the X card is you can take an index card and draw an X on it and say, okay, whenever there's something that comes up that you th- that you think is um, bo- that bothers you, right, that you think is inappropriate, just feel, just lift the X card and say, I'm not comfortable with this, and nobody will judge you. That's like fair game. Um, I don't think I've had anybody use the X card. But I think I've had people feel better about it being there. I've also gone around the table and asked people, what is something that you would like me to stay away from, right? So mm-hmm. if it's a horror game or a, or a combat game, 
Usually people are like, no, everything's fine. I've had people say, oh, you know what? Uh, harming children really bothers me. I had somebody say hanging, like hanging really bothers them. I had one person who was really afraid of frogs. Like, can we not do frog thing? I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know. whatever makes you, quick, you comfortable. Quickly rewrite your temple of the frog. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Temple of the, yeah. of the alligator god. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so it's good to ask. I think I think there are a lot of hay is made about asking, and I think it's important to do. I rarely get responses or, or stuff like that, but you do want to watch out. I've seen it happen at other tables while I was at a con, um, and it's always mm-hmm. it's always awkward. Yeah, I've been in I've I've been in games playing them at cons where I don't. I've, I have not played in a game that used the X card, but I've been in games where you know when you just have different personalities and you know just issues like interrogation can. Yes. can can quickly get uncomfortable just depending on you know everybody's different sensibilities. But this question didn't start about inappropriate behavior. It started with something else. What was the actual just uh, some of the problems that you have to watch out for? So one of them being inappropriate behavior. Right. Yes. The other is attention. You should set some ground rules around attention. We are past the point where you can realistically say to another person, "Hey, don't look at your phone when we're playing." But. <laughs> Um, attention becomes a problem, I think, because if people are unengaged or nervous, they have some default behaviors, like looking at their phone or reading the con catalog or, you know, something like that. Stacking dice. Mm-hmm. Stacking my, dice is a good that's one. That's the tell in my uh, own personal home game. So. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so attention can be maybe a bigger problem in a con game. The other thing that you're not expecting and can be hard, especially in an RPG, is you are usually in a room with seven or eight games going on at the same time. And it's like a hotel conference room. And there is space between the tables. But I've had games where there was a guy laughing so loud at the next table, I thought I was going to lose my mind and my ability to focus <laughs> and keep people engaged because everybody was kind of looking over. Like when He would laugh all the time really loud. Um, so focus becomes a problem. So again, subtle characterization doesn't work so great at a con game. So it seems like what you're saying is, you know, the, the best thing to do is focus on sort of a, a, a few highlights that show the system off. Would you say that's, that's sort of the best route to take? I, yes, I think it is. And remember, you're, you're always, it's always better to show off a setting or a feel of a game than a mechanic, right? Don't try to show off the mechanics. Try to show off how the game can make a fun story. And I think if you start there, because people don't want to come to your game. If they go to your game and they have fun, then they'll pick up the book and they'll learn the mechanics. But trying to teach them a ton of mechanics right out of the gate is not, it doesn't work, in my experience. Yeah, it's interesting. I think when when GMs think about going to play in other games, they often have sort of an ulterior motive of like, you're sort of like workshopping the game to see if maybe you want to bring it to your table. Right, right. <laughs> right. Whereas I feel like if you're more of like a player mindset, you might want to sit down because like, oh my goodness, like I really want to play as a you know, whatever, Dirty Rotten Scoundrel and Blaze in the Dark. That sounds like so much fun, right? Right. When I think about like, oh, it'd be really fun to run this system because I think it has some sort of like mechanical complexity that would be fun to introduce a bunch of people to. I think it'd be it's pretty important to think that like most of the people who are going to be playing it probably don't care. <laughs> they don't care. And a lot of that will go over their heads. You know, I just say, I want to do this. This sounds cool. And I changed my description from... I used, I've written a lot of con descriptions, and I changed mine from talking about the mechanics and how they work to talking about why it's fun and what the setting is like, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. when I write a con description for Dungeon World, I say, if you've ever wanted to try a story game, this is the one, right? Or I'll say, you know, um, the quick, fast-paced, improvisational game. But I won't say, 
that uses two six-sided dice instead of a 20 and you know like I don't yeah. I don't get into any of that kind of thing. Is there a sweet spot in terms of the duration of the game that you aim for in the games you run? The sessions are by default at uh, at most cons 4 hours and I always do 3. I do not think I can be energetic enough to run a good game for 4 hours. I also am very strict about taking like a 10 minute break in the middle. Like everybody we're taking a break hit the bathroom, get another drink, whatever. But three hours is my max. I know a lot of people who do four-hour games. I think that, for me, that is too long. Uh, this year I'm doing something new, and I don't know how it's going to work at all. They have me on after. I'm, I've, yeah. put, I've submitted two games for, for kids, like age 5 to 10, and I've set those each up as an hour because I do not want to run a kid's game for three hours. I don't think that would work <laughs> at all. Yeah. You know, and if we get through 45 minutes of that hour, I'll be happy. So we'll see how that, we'll see how that works. So again, I guess the answer to that question is it's also your audience. Did you set an age limit on the, the ones for the kids? I did. I put in my description five to 10 and I did put in, you know, for families. So I'm hoping that the parents and the kids will come play together. Uh, I did mm-hmm. also say, you can't just leave your kid. I'm not a babysitter. But that's, another... <laughs> that's, that's smart. Because <laughs> everybody was thinking that. They're like, oh, yes. I'm going to go play something horrible while my kids are doing this. Yeah, no. One of my more the more enjoyable con games I've played in is at, the, at a local con here in my hometown. There's this guy who every year runs, uh, runs two-hour sessions for kids and families. And he's used different, different systems, uh, different... D&D-esque, uh, like, kind of old-school systems to do it. And, yeah, two hours two hours is the absolute, like, upper limit that I would uh, expect kids' attentions uh, to be there. And even that is that is really pushing it, honestly. Um, but it's super, it's, it was super fun to play with families at the table. I've heard of people who run a series of... There's a, some cons, and, and you kind of started to have this, have a um, games-on-demand section, which is where you can just sort of show up with games that you know how to play and try different things and that's usually a lot of indie games and stuff I know people there who run 30 minute role playing games or 5 minute role playing games right like just fun ways to experiment with the format but yeah I usually go on the shorter end if you if you have a game for adults and you say it's an hour I mean I would be surprised I guess I don't know I should try it sometime but I you know I think people because if they if they choose your hour game they've missed a 4 hour game right because the schedules Um. will overlap so you know, if, if it's too short, I feel like people won't be interested. Maybe I should try it some year. That's what I'm doing next year. Just decided. I was going to ask, do you ever uh, include character creation in your con games that you run? I do. It depends on the game. So for Phoenix Dawn Command, character creation is incredibly complex. And I, I don't run it anymore. But you have to like build this stack of 17 cards and you have to choose these attributes and understand what they mean. So what I would do is like pick 15 of those cards for people and then put out a few choices and say you should add one or two of these to your deck, right? Um, but I would not, I would, I would create almost all the character. With Dungeon World, I do almost nothing because uh, Dungeon World character creation should take 20 or 30 minutes and creating the characters and creating the bonds between those characters is so crucial to the game that if I pre-gen those characters, uh, people aren't going to have fun. I have a friend who, who runs games that are really, like really complex four-hour D&D games where he details the characters out for people down to their names and their appearance mm. and look, and he makes character packets for them. He goes on like, um, you know, just looking for D&D art, and he finds like mm-hmm. pictures that he thinks he look like the character as he's imagined them, and then hands his color packet to his players. So, oh, wow. yeah, I, th- I would never do that, um, but I think character creation, depending on the game, is crucial to the experience. 
At Gen Con this year, I played in a number of games where the pre-generated characters had backstories that had hooks into the backstories of other characters at the table. So right. it'll say on my sheet, you know, you, you mistrust the, this other character here at the table, or you used to be married to this other character at the table. Do you find that that, that people usually are happy to run with that sort of information, or is that going uh, overboard? It depends on the game. And, but I think some people are ready to run with that information. I struggle with that because I personally don't enjoy running with that kind of information. I want to I make up something about my character mm-hmm. and some kind of relationship with the other characters. Um, mm-hmm. And it, since I tend to run, I don't want to say more narrative games, but more modern games, there is such an emphasis on character relationship when you're creating characters that sort of like Fiasco or Dungeon World or any of the Apocalypse World games that that creating your characters, part of that is about creating those relationships. And I, so I think that's really important. But a lot, RPGs have been written that way for a long time, so it may work. I generally don't do that or like to play in games that do that. Strikes me to be kind of interesting, like you were mentioning the like, four-hour-long sessions. You know, Over the course of a weekend, if you could do, do like a series of sessions, so maybe you did like a character creation on night one, yeah. And did like two one shots then the the following two days. Something with those those characters would be a really fun way to do that and have sort of a, a cohesive con experience. People have tried that. Um and they've tried to do like three or four strung together sessions. Um mm-hmm. and I don't know how they've turned out. I see them in the catalog and I'm like, wow, that's a really interesting idea. I'd like to see how that worked out. Given the way cons go, I think that would be incredibly hard, but it's a really good idea. And I've always wanted to, to see how it would work. I've had the same thought, uh, that same curiosity about it, like at uh, at cons, especially the bigger ones, like you will, you will see like that maybe three Call of Cthulhu scenarios are being run and they're like sequential. So Mm -hmm. um, you can play in one under one GM and then sign up to do scenario two or maybe under a different GM and then maybe the third scenario. And Sometimes those are organized in sort of a tournament style format, and mm, I've right. never, I've re- never really done that because I'm intimidated at the idea of you know giving so much of my con time to one you know game yes. experience. But yeah, um, mm-hmm. but it does seem kind of interesting. Uh, it's an interesting idea, and I'd like to try it sometime. But again, I prefer to run over play. So I've already got I submitted five games to run, and I've saved one spot, and I already know what game I'm playing. So <laughs> yeah. You know. Is it, I'm going to go take a nap? Is that the game? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, some, even though it's right by my house, I think maybe I should get a hotel room so I could just chill out. But it, there's usually yeah. <laughs> good places to have downtime there. Yeah, um, why don't you actually, uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about UConn. So this yeah. is coming up in November. Yes. Um, so I've been in Ann Arbor like 10 years, and I haven't heard of this until fairly recently. And so right. I'm planning on going if I can, Yeah. Um, for sure. But yeah, what's what's the setup there? So the setup for UConn is great. It's at Eagle Crest in Ypsilanti. So it's at a convention mm-hmm. center. Um, mm-hmm. And they set up, they have different tracks. They have a role-playing track and a board game track. They take mm-hmm. the big dining room and they set it. It's literally full of tables of people playing board games. Cool. Uh, and then the upstairs, there's a bunch of conference rooms. And the upstairs areas are all for people running role-playing games. There are about a thousand attendees every year. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so it's it's not huge, but it's not small either. So you can find people to play in your games. Um, mm. And I see a lot of families and stuff there. It's a lot of fun, and they have uh, a nice. They have this currency system built into it, where as the GM, I'm given like a poker chip or two, depending on how many players mm-hmm. I have, 
and at the end of the game, I get to hand those out on whatever merits, like the guy who came up with the cool idea. Or, you know, if there's a kid at the table that has played, I'll just give it to the kid, right? Yeah. But you can save <laughs> these up over, over years and then turn them in for prizes. They have a prize table. And so, like, I've gotten free Dungeon Crawl Classic Adventures there and, and all yeah. kinds of stuff. So it's pretty fun. They have a raffle. Um, it's great. And there's a games library where you can just go check out a board game and find mm-hmm. an open table and play it. Um, so there's structure if you want it, but also, you know, they also have now have uh, games on demand where you can just go to this room and people are like, hey, who wants to play Microscope? Mm-hmm. And, you know, a game sort of comes together. So it's pretty fun. I really like it. That's great. Yeah, I'm for sure going to make it out there. I think I have a wedding to go do that weekend, but it's not going to be the whole weekend. Forget so. it. <laughs> for, yeah. yeah. And you can go. So at UConn, the nice thing is, and the reason I like it is, and I chose it, A, is because it's local. Yeah. But also... They're very generous to their GM. So if you run six hours of games, you get mm-hmm. a you get in for free, oh, um, okay. which is nice. You still mm-hmm. have to pay to play in games, and that's something we didn't talk about. And this is this is when we talk yeah. about the responsibility thing. So everybody at my table, if I'm running a three hour game, has paid a. There are for the for the entire con. There are eight game slots. Okay, there's three on Friday, three on Saturday, two on Sunday for RPGs. So if they've come to my game, they've chosen one of their slots to play in my game, and they've paid four dollars to do it. So it's so I do feel some responsibility in that sense. Like when you're at your home group, nobody's paid. I hope nobody's paid to be there. <laughs> Though I guess the rise of the professional GM, yeah, is a new thing. But yeah, people are paying to be there, so I do feel some obligation in that sense. And so, like, so you're not seeing that money right directly. Oh, it's no. not like they're handing you the four dollars, but I mean, no, you're getting some benefits instead of having to pay thirty-five dollars to to show up at the con for the weekend i just get to go i have to pay a ten dollar like deposit to say that i'll actually show up and then they give it to me yeah. at the end but i always just donate it to the con that's so very smart of yeah. <laughs> yes. yes speaking of showing up yeah do you have a problem with players just not showing up i actually had a couple buy tickets and then to two different games of mine and then they didn't come to the convention at all so i had these empty seats the nice thing is what you typically do is start don't start right if you got a one o'clock start time Start at maybe one ten because people will be wandering around, and you can say, "Oh, I've got a seat." If you're looking for something, and they can just jump in. They can. They have tokens they can buy that are worth two dollars. Just hand you two tokens, mm-hmm. and and they're in the game. So people don't show up, but you can a- often find other people. I've had games that just I didn't sell any tickets for, and that's a that's yeah. always a bummer, especially if you do a lot of prep. Do they make you sit at the table <laughs> by yourself? <laughs> I usually stay crying. there for about half an hour, right? And then if yeah. nobody shows up, I leave. I've uh, I've been to cons where the GM didn't show up. Um, oh, that's no good. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty poor. But so Andy, now I'm curious. So you've gotten to get all sorts of great advice from John. So what are you thinking for your Numenera game? Oh well, really the the big question is what do I fill that hour with? You know, I want to show off the setting. I want to have it be fun. I don't want to have it be like a 50 minute like okay, I rolled to see if I hit it. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. I missed. We've talked about how tedious that can get. So I guess to either of you guys, how would you go about, if you had one hour to show off a game that you loved, what mm-hmm. would be in that hour? And I and I know that the answer, it depends on the game, is probably really a very important caveat here. I, can, yeah. I would give you my very basic advice. So here's what I wouldn't include, okay? I would not include a lengthy scene of character introduction for one hour. I would not include the scene at the tavern, right? I never include mm-hmm. the scene at the tavern anymore. But I wouldn't <laughs> include the scene at the tavern or any, any introductory scene. 
what I would do is I would I would give people care. I would let them choose, or even with that little time, hand them out, or just say, "Would you rather be, you know, uh, uh, sort of a wizard or a fighter? Like keep it super high level, hand out the sheets accordingly, let them fill in the name and something descriptive, so they get a little ownership there, and then say, "Okay, the world is like this. You're in this place. You know, tell them why they're there and what they're doing, and then start." media res right with the action mm-hmm. say okay you know you're in this you were summoned to this village because the village children have been kidnapped have been kidnapped and there's a kidnapping happening right now what do you do like that mm-hmm. is how i would get into my hour and and sort of you've just got to sort of force people into role playing right mm-hmm. you, you know give them a little comfort by describing the setting and saying you know to do things to resolve actions you roll dice and when we get to that we'll get into that and i'll show you how to do it but let's just get started Mm-hmm. Um, and I would not do any sort of uh, lengthy um, rules explanation either. How about you, Chris? You've run a lot of one-hour lunchtime games. How do mm-hmm. you how do you think about you know the content that you fill that hour with? The way I typically approach it is kind of exactly what John just said: is you just dive straight in, right? There's very little preamble. It's just like here's the scenario, go, <laughs> right? Because you don't have any time at all. I think like if I was well. I'm going to try to come and play in your one of your Numenera games, right? <laughs> so when, I, when I'm going to sit down to play Numenera, I think the thing that I'm looking for as a player is going to be, like, why Numenera and not D&D, right? Or, like, so why Numenera and not the other thing that I know? Right. And actually, you, you make a great point. Because D&D, you know, I, somebody asked me the other day, like, I was giving a, a description of the different sort of types of games in the modern role playing. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, there's kind of these OSR games, right? And then there are these story narrative games, and then there's 5e, right? Like, yeah. people know 90% of role playing games played are 5e. Actually, one good thing is to do is to highlight the difference in a positive way, right? So, in Numenera, for example, you have a resource points that you can spend to, to automatically succeed or increase your chance to succeed on a roll. That's not a thing in D&D. So, if you're going to highlight a mechanic, while they're doing it, there's there's a thing to highlight because it gives the player a little more agency, and that's a cool thing about Numenera. That is the sort of thing where, as um, someone who understands a different system, being able to sit down and be like, oh, this thing is different, and then your wheels start turning immediately, like, oh, I could use that to solve this or that problem. Or, like, specifically, I really wish I had that in my last session of d and <laughs> I wish I could have just automatically resolved that. Yeah, but hi- highlighting those differences is is it like for one one thing I do when Dungeon World does not have an initiative turn structure, right? Mm-hmm. It's completely narrative driven. So that's one thing I highlight. People are go, so whose turn is it? I'm like, uh, I don't. Why don't you go? Right? Like, you know, and people are like, well, they find it very they find that aspect very freeing, right? When mm-hmm. they if they if they get into it, some people hate it, but but that's mm-hmm. a difference that I highlight. What about the physical stuff you bring to the table? Do you bring? enough dice for everybody do you bring you know uh name cards for everybody do you uh do you usually bring a map you know what do you bring i bring all the dice that will be needed to play the game for for six people or whoever many people you've said is the max for your game so that's don't expect them to have their own stuff at all mm-hmm. i bring a six sharpened pencils to every game I keep them in a toothpaste holder like one of those big toothpaste holders i pre-sharpen yeah, yeah. them and i bring them in the toothpaste holder, so there's always sharp pencils. I always have index cards. And I have this, the thing I use, it's called the note board. It can fold up to the size of an index card, but it's basically a whiteboard you can lay flat so that I can mm. draw on it with a, with a dry erase marker. Mm. Um, so I always have those things. And then I always have kits 
for the players that include a character sheet and any sort of little supplemental rules thing. Though I will give you a mm-hmm. caution about that. If you include a detailed rules sheet, sometimes players will just bury their heads in that. And they'll say, well, mm-hmm. I guess I'll do this thing. So, uh, you know, for Numenera, you might not, for one hour, you might not want to include that at all. You might want to just tell them what to do. But yeah, so I always take those things with me. Yeah, so I know nothing about Numenera. Then I guess what's the, what's sort of the default setup for a Numenera campaign? So I'll try to do the 30 second pitch and I probably should, I should probably perfect and practice the, you know, yeah. the, this is the world pitch. So this is the not, I, I'm, yes. I'm putting you, yeah. I'm putting you totally on blast right now. Cause just cause I was like, well, we might as well get something useful. Yeah. <laughs> out well, of our conversation. <laughs> it's, um, it is a far future game, uh, set mm. a billion years in the future of earth. And That's awesome. uh, countless civilizations have risen and fallen and risen and fallen. And you are, uh, one billion years in the future, you are living in a on an Earth that is not rec- recognizable um, to modern eyes, and you know your typical adventurers are sort of medieval level adventurers, scoundrels, that sort of thing, going on quests, carrying out adventures, and kind of scrabbling to survive and thrive in a world littered with the remains of insanely high technology that you no longer understand you uh, you can't replicate it uh, you can't build it but you're surrounded by the trinkets of these advanced uh, prior civilizations and mm-hmm. so you you kind of you play out sort of D style you know adventures if you want uh, with this added sense that what you're trying to do is maybe carve out some uh safety and a little civilization and in this world using the remains of you know this ancient tech to uh, help you do it so um yeah i don't know that's that not pretty a very, good for a first good draft yeah i need no, to no, uh, that's, that's that all right. sounds great yeah <laughs> that's you know i am going to write down the draft and edit it and get it down because yes. yeah uh yeah i, I think you need to say the word billion years in the future. <laughs> yeah. Make sure that gets a, across. A yeah. billion years. But yes. I think, like, as a player, right, so the th- the first thing I'm going to ask you is, like, how do I get one of those cool trinkets, mm. right? So I might I might even start with having everybody roll on a table to get a cool trinket. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> totally. That would be very much in the spirit of the game, too. So, yeah, what uh, what do you want to hear? What do you, Chris, and you, John, you sitting down at... A table, and you haven't played a game, or maybe you've heard a little bit about it. Like, what do you want to hear in that thirty-second pitch? What's the question on your mind? I mean, Chris, your question is, how do I get the cool thing on, that's on the cover or whatever? Uh, how yeah. do I get one of those laser axes? <laughs> I, I want to know. Yeah, I want to know what we're doing. Right? Why are we here, and what are we doing? That's always what I want to know. I listened to a previous uh, podcast, and you had played with some cool celebrities. I played in a couple of celebrity games, and the best ones were ones where the person just got right to it. He said, this is the situation. You know, one was a supers game, right? You want to be the speedster? Okay, here's the speedster. Here's the character sheet. Here's the situation. The villain has taken over this museum, and he's stealing something from it, and you don't know what is what he's stealing. You're in the lobby. You know, what do you do, right? So, again, mm-hmm. that's me, the, high, the media res. But just framing the, the problem. Mm-hmm. As, as concisely as possible. So very much, uh, yeah, player focused. Keep a limit on how much you know. Setting info dump and focus on like here's here's what you're in the process of doing. Even as we start the game, we are 
getting up on time, and we should probably wrap up pretty soon. But John, I've been saving this question for a while, and it's oh dear, it's it's like kind of a prurient uh, question. But I got to ask: Have you ever just run a total fiasco of a con game? And can you explain what went wrong? And if you haven't, that's fine. If everything has gone cool, that's great. But I just got to know: no. where, where was there a disaster? That Fantasy Age game, the first game I ever ran at a con, where I took my sort of typical thing, I was like, I'll just wing it, right? It'll be fine. There was one guy who was louder and more annoyed than everybody else, and he did all the talking, and I think they solved the adventure in an hour, maybe. We spent a few minutes, like, leveling up the characters so they could see how the mechanic works, and I looked over at a DM who was coming back from break, and he goes, he goes, uh, how's you guys taking a break? I'm like, we're done. And he just like looked at me like Google eyed, like, oh, that's, that's bad. Like, <laughs> and I don't think I encouraged one person to buy a copy of Fantasy Age through that game. Um, yeah, it was a complete disaster. And then, um, yeah, that was probably my biggest disaster. Other than people not showing up, that's always a disaster. So was that bad luck, or did you botch your preparation for it, I, or both? I botched my preparation. Okay. That was a preparation game, and I tried to not do preparation. Okay. Because even if I'm running, like, two of my games, Dungeon World, which I hope you both come to UConn and run in, mm-hmm. are um, Dungeon World Mad Libs, and it's an improv game, right? Mm-hmm. Where people fill in the blanks on what the adventure is going to be. Even that, I need to prepare what. So I hand them a list of choices. Here's seven choices that you can use to fill. Like all of those things, that's still preparation. I still need to print out all the character sheets. I need to make sure there's a copy of the move sheet for everybody. You know, doing that prep is still um, super important. And I forgot the most important thing you need to bring to every game, which is index cards. Yes. I swear to God, just pack a hundred of them, and you <laughs> yeah. won't have any left at the end of the count. I'm always running out of index cards at the worst possible moment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you have to have, just double check your index cards. All right, people, if you take one thing from this uh, this 45-minute discussion, uh, it is bring those index cards. I think if you take one thing from any episode of any of our podcasts, it's, it's that. I think we mentioned <laughs> yeah. it. It's, like, it's uh, play Blades in them. the Dark and uh, bring yeah. index in cards. And, with index uh, cards, yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, we should we should wrap up. Um, so I just wanted to recap the so the upcoming events, at least in the Ann Arbor area, which I think most of our listeners and a lot of our guests and stuff are from, from Ann Arbor or Michigan adjacent in some fashion. So the, the Ann Arbor District Library is doing a role-playing game fest on September 14th from 1 to 5 p.m., so it's just on the first floor of the lo- uh, first floor lobby. So Andy's for sure going to be there running running some games. I'll be hanging out um, doing something there at least um and then i think we there's just some like mutual friends and stuff who are also going to be running some games as well too so that should be super fun um and then the other one is yukon and that's coming up november 22nd through the 24th in ypsilantia eagle crest uh should be i should be making it out there as well and it sounds like john's gonna be running some games and i think phil one of our friends is also going to be running some games yes as well if not some some others, maybe I will get roped in. I'm not sure yet. The last thing I'll say is if you go to the same con a few years in a row, you do make friends that are just at the con, right? So I've had people playing my games multiple years um, and been familiar faces, and that's kind of fun. That's super great. Yeah, I used to go to a, a board game convention um, every year, and it was fun seeing some of the same people. But then you learn that play with them. RPGs are better. and 
it was done. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and now I look at a board game and I'm like, well, I mean, I could. But. I could. But... <laughs> All right, well, we should wrap up. Um, thank you so much, John, for coming back on. Yeah, really appreciate absolutely. It. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Um, well, I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rao. Remember, if your players or your con players are having fun, you're a great champ. All right, thanks, guys. <laughs>